Our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans 13, if you'd open your Bibles there, please, to Romans 13. We're in a section of Romans in which the Apostle Paul is setting forth the ways we are to reflect the gospel of the grace of God in the world in which we live. And we start by working on ourselves. He said, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. On the word of God, you go to work on yourself, you discover what your gift is and how you can use it to help minister to the body of Jesus Christ. He said, be of the same mind in the family of God. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Don't take revenge when you're wronged. Try to be at peace with all people. Now, the chronology we're going to look at today as Paul expands this is he's saying, I want to explain to you how you can be not just a reflection of the grace of God as an individual, and not a reflection of the grace of God to the body of Jesus Christ, but how you can be a reflection of God in regard to the government. And he doesn't mention any country here, and he doesn't mention any type of government, whether it's a democracy or monarchy or socialism or oligarchy. He doesn't mention any of that, which would indicate that no matter where a person lives, They can take these principles in Romans that we're about to look at today and apply it to their situation in the place where they live. Some of you are not going to like this. I don't like it, frankly. Some of you are going to struggle with this. I think there's going to be a real stretch that's going to take place today. You're probably not going to like this message. I do promise you this. It will be very accurate to this text. And if you are here and you're wise, you'll try to apply it to you because... Every one of us is going to have a bema seat judgment, and that's a fact. We're all going to stand before the Lord, and so we're all going to need to apply this. Now, this passage, about 10 or 12 years ago here, I got a letter from a religious fanatic. I think it was out of Oklahoma, and he was making serious threats against President Obama. And he was talking about doing great harm against him, And this text, plus one in 1 Samuel, prompted me to contact the Secret Service in Washington, D.C. because of this very threatening letter that was sent. They put me in touch with the Secret Service of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they asked for the letter, which I turned over to the Secret Service. This is the passage that prompted me to do it, right here. Here's what we read in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, and I want to back up to verse 1 for a minute. Every person literally reads every soul. So this is one time, in fact, there are a couple of translations here in this text that I think the King James and the New International Version do a better job than the New American Standard. This is one of those places because every person literally says every soul, which means this is to be an inside attitude. Every person is to have this inside attitude for there's no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is 
And I want to point out now these pronouns that are translated it in verse 4 in the New American Standard should be translated he. These are all masculine words that are connected here in verse 4. So the New International Version, the King James Version, does translate the it he. For he is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. For he is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I told you that passage will stretch in, it will. And may God add his blessing to the reading of it and to the exposition of it to transpire later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today. I think we'll just start by asking you to forgive us. At least I will. Forgive us for times where we've said things and done things against the government that you've established. We see in this passage that there is no government, you stress that, there's no government leader that's in power except through your sovereignty for your sovereign purposes. And please forgive us for times when we have just not accepted that truth. We frankly sinned against it. You've given us leadership in this country. We are to pray for it. We thank you for the leadership. Thank you for all those that are willing to go through the whole process to get into an office. It's just mind-boggling in itself that you'd want to go through the process to get into a position where you could lead the nation. But we certainly can pray for those that have been entrusted with those responsibilities. We pray for the executive branch, the president, and the vice president, his cabinet, and advisors. We pray for the judicial branch of government, the Supreme Court, and the lower courts. We pray for the legislative branch, Congress, and the Senate. We pray for our state leaders. We pray for our local leaders. Lord, they all need your help. They all need your wisdom. We pray that you would do that. You give them your help. Give them your wisdom. May the counsel that they receive be right and just and good and true. And when it isn't right and just and good and true, we would ask that you would turn their minds to recognize it and stand against it and do what's right. We would certainly pray for those who are in high positions of power who do not Know the Lord Jesus Christ that you would turn their minds to believe on you and be saved. We pray that they would realize the conviction they need to respond to the gospel. Turn their minds in right directions that will favor your people. Lord, we have a lot of work to do in our own lives. We pray that we would finish unashamed before you. We pray that we would finish being pleasing to you. We pray that this book of Romans will cause us all to become better grace reflectors. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Politics is dirty business. We as God's people don't want to get caught up in the dirt. When election years approach, filthy mud begins to fly. Ads are taken out on TV that are designed to rip the opposing candidate to shreds. It's easy to become adversarial and cynical. Millions and millions of people will tell you our job is to speak out against and protest those leaders that don't see it our way, especially if your party doesn't win. You should join an opposition party that stands against it and do it all the time. 
Now, one question we as Christians have to ask ourselves is whether or not it's ever biblically right in the grace age, because this is grace age teaching, whether it's right in the grace age to ever resist or disobey government, and we think there are times when the answer to that question from a biblical perspective is yes. There are those situations, there are those times when we should resist. Number one, we should refuse to obey the government if it says we can't teach the scriptures anymore or we can't teach the truth about Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Peter and the apostles. They were told by the government that they could no longer preach Christ, and they said, no, we're going to keep preaching, and we have to obey God rather than men. We also should refuse to obey the government if it demands that a believer perform some immoral or non-righteous or non-biblical action. Daniel in the scriptures, was ordered by the government not to pray, and he refused to obey it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ordered by the government to bow down and worship an image. They refused to do it. In Genesis, the government of Sodom went to Lot's house and demanded that he turn over the visitors for their deviant homosexual activity, and Lot refused, and God honored him. During the days of Adolf Hitler, Christians in Germany were told that they could not have anything to do with Israel and positively helping the Jews. In fact, some ministers actually used Romans 13 to support the idea they shouldn't do anything. They were threatening persecution and death to those who would help Jewish people, and many disobeyed the government and helped the Jewish people. And in the Great Tribulation, the government is going to demand that all people receive a mark of the beast on their right hand or forehead. And that mark will either contain the name or number of the satanic antichrist. And if people submit to government at that point, if they take the mark of the beast, they're going to end up in hell. So it would be better at that point not to obey government than to submit to it. We should also refuse to obey government if the government becomes a threat to the welfare of innocent people. If the government says go out and kill innocent people, we just should not do it. When Saul was king of Israel, he wanted David killed. That was the edict that he issued. He wanted David killed. And yet his own son, Jonathan, and Michael, Saul's daughter, they decided we're not going to obey our own dad. We're going to actually help David. And that's exactly what they did. When King Herod put Peter in jail and God had angels break them out, they didn't submit and stay in jail. They got out of there. So I preface this study today, and it's going to stretch you. I preface this study today with these realities. There are times when the right thing to do is not to submit to government, and when it comes to those moments of time, we have to be willing to take the consequences. Because in every one of those instances, those people were willing to take the consequences. But having said that, there's a general principle that God wants grace-age, church-age believers to know. Apparently, there were some in the church that were promoting the idea, real spirituality speaks out and stands against political leaders we don't like. Some were suggesting the real mark of spiritual integrity is to fight and be on a warpath against godless leaders and not to submit to them. Now this has always been somewhat of a troubling text in light of philosophies that have floated through Christianity. For example, I was 
born and raised at a time where you had to register for the draft to go into the military. The government made you register when you were a certain age to go into the I had to register. Well, there were some people that said, we're not doing that. We're going to take a pacifistic approach, and we're not going to register for the draft. We were required by the government to register for the draft. There are others who say, we really have no connection to government whatsoever. We shouldn't even vote. Just let it fly wherever it goes. So this idea has affected Christians in many ways. And then you've always had a group who say you shouldn't pay your taxes. I mean, the government has no right to have us pay taxes. So there's always been floating around Christianity, those that say the real mark of spiritual integrity is never submit to government. But I remind us that when Paul says that every soul is to be in subjection to government in the first part of verse 1, he doesn't say every soul should be in subjection to government if the government is good and you like it. He doesn't say that. In fact, King David is a great illustration of a guy who was willing to submit to government. Saul was out to kill him. And we've gone through 1 Samuel. We've tracked that. And when you get to 1 Samuel 26, I mean, he has literally put a hit contract out on King David. David and Abishai sneak into the camp when they're asleep at night. Abishai grabs the spear. He wants to kill Saul right there. We've got him. This guy's done evil against you. Let's kill him. David said, no. No, that's the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. This guy was against David. This guy was trying to kill David. He said, I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. What Paul says to the church in developing the gospel of grace is, you know, we demonstrate the righteousness of God and the grace of God when we humbly submit to and support the government leaders that God has ordained to be in office. And the text says in verse 1, every soul, every person, the character and quality of everyone. Now, certainly it's aimed at believers in the church, but by saying every person, I mean, this is the way God would like to see it. I mean, if you're always fighting against government, you need to know you're not doing what's right before the Lord. We're to submit ourselves, we're to submit ourselves with an attitude of compliance Prayer, support, we'll talk about that later. And you may think, oh, you've misinterpreted this text. This is just one rare text. Really? Flip over, if you would, please, to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. I don't think I've misread this. Martin Luther didn't either. Martin Luther said in the 1500s, Christians must subject themselves also to wicked and unbelievers, speaking of leadership. Charles Hodge, the theologian of the 1800s, said obedience to government is demanded on the grounds of their official station. W.H. Griffith Thomas Theologian, preacher, and teacher of the 1900s said, when you resist government, you resist God himself. Warren Wearsby said, Paul refutes the idea that Christians should disobey and rebel against authorities. Now, 
You take this text and do whatever you want with it, because I'm not going to mandate anything. I will tell you this, though. We're going to accurately handle it. If you want to oppose government, you go ahead. I'll tell you this, though. You won't reflect the grace of God, and then you will get before a bema seat judgment, having not reflected the grace of God, you'll be held accountable to this, for this. Now, what Paul does here is he gives four simple reasons why we should be willing to submit to government. And the first one is the sovereignty of God because God has ordained all government. That's what he says in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Now, government is not man's idea. Government is God's idea. In fact, we have, in the context of the Grace Age, three kind of units of government. We have the church life government that God has established, and we're to function right in the church life. We have our family life structure that we have, that God has structured in the family unit. Then there's the government. And the first reason we need to have a right perspective of government is because of the sovereignty of God. Look carefully here. The text says there is no authority in any form of government except that which has been permitted by God. Including Satan. That's right. Did you hear what I just said? There's no authority except from God including Satan. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want to show you that from the scriptures. Go to Luke chapter 4. This is where the devil was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 6, the devil said to him, said to Christ, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who handed that authority over to him? God. When you go to Jude, and I guess probably we ought to do this because I'm making some pretty powerful observations here. Let's go to Jude. Next to the last book of the New Testament in the book of Jude. And we're talking here about Satan and in Jude, and notice what we read in verse 9, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him, against Satan, a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All authority has been allowed by God, and that's the authority that includes Satan. And when Jesus himself was standing before Pilate, who is about to kill him, sentence him to die. Jesus said to him in John chapter 19, Jesus said to him, God's the one who gave you authority. You don't have any authority over me, except authority that's been given to you from above. So what Paul says is, I want you to understand, you and the church age, there is no authority in government except from God, and those that exist are established by God. He uses the word established, or tasso, which means God has made these military appointments for his government purposes. There's no authority in government except that which has been permitted by God to be there. And God does not always put leaders in power that make his people happy. 
God does not always put people in power that blesses people. In fact, he can put government powers into existence for the purpose of chastising his people, disciplining his people, so his people will get close to him. I mean, Paul has already mentioned one earlier in this book in Romans chapter 9 when he says it was God who raised up Pharaoh. Why did God raise up Pharaoh? He wasn't a godly guy, a good guy. He was an adulterer and immoral idolater. Why did he raise a killer? Why did he raise him up? When you look into the Old Testament, you discover God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Well, he wasn't a guy who loved the Lord and loved the people of God. He slaughtered them in Jerusalem. He raised up Cyrus. He raised up the leaders of Greece and Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, he raised up the leaders of the United States of America. And keep this in mind when Paul wrote this, the key political leader, when he writes these words, is Nero. Nero is one of the most ungodly, immoral political leaders to ever have any power. Paul said, you need to realize God is even in sovereign control of that. He put him into power. He can take him out of power. You need to understand that. Now, the truth is, very few government officials realize this. And you can certainly tell that watching their advertisements in election years, because they really think that what got me here is the majority of people. That's what got me here. And my slick advertising campaigns that we use to outsmart the opponent, what they don't realize is God is the one who has put them where they presently are. They are highly accountable to him. And there are books in the Bible a week from Sunday night. We're starting the book of Nahum. And God says, now when I'm done using these leaders for my purposes, now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to them. They're going to be highly accountable to God for what they did or did not do. But he's the one who put them into power. And Paul says in the grace age, you need to understand that. There is no authority except from God. The second reason why we need to be willing to submit to government is because resisting government opposes God. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God's very clear here that if we oppose government, we're opposing God who put that government into power. If you listen to the news... Depending on what news you're listening to, you will think opposing government's a great sport. Because that's what they do. One side doesn't like the other side, the other side doesn't like the other side, and so all they do is they just basically are in combat, verbal combat with each other. But Paul says, look, you start opposing government, you need to understand something. You're opposing God. And God says, if you do that... You want to spend your life doing that, you'll receive, you will receive, and that's a future tense indicative mood verb. So at some point in the future, it's a fact, you want to spend your whole life opposing government, you'll be condemned one day when you get before the beam of seat of Jesus Christ. You just need to know that. You're not going to be praised for that. In fact, Proverbs 24 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change. For their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. This is not an ear-tickling message I'm preaching here. This is not designed to make an audience feel good. This is truth. 
This is truth. And in the times in which we live, we have, and I'm going to add one more, seven responsibilities to government. Number one, we have the responsibility to submit to it unless they demand that we do something immoral or unbiblical. Number two, we have the responsibility to pray for it. Pray for the government. Pray for the leaders. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God will direct their minds in making decisions. Number three, we have the responsibility to respect it, realizing God's the one who ordained it. Number four, we have the responsibility to support it by paying our taxes. Number five, we have the responsibility to proclaim the truth to the government, even if it contradicts what they're doing. We cannot change the truth of God just because it'll make some political team feel good about itself. We have a responsibility to communicate truth. Number six, we have a responsibility to vote for it, because in this country... That is a great privilege and prerogative that we have. We have a responsibility to vote for the government, but number seven, it's going to hit you. It hit me. I'm the one writing this. We have the responsibility not to speak against it. Michael wouldn't even speak a reeling accusation against Satan. Peter says the same thing in Second Peter. Don't speak against it. Now, you do what you want with this. I'll lay this stuff out for you. You do what you want with it. But know this. Whenever we start shooting off our mouths in opposition, we oppose God. Do we have a right to point out truth? Absolutely. We have a right to hate evil. Paul's already established that. So we have a responsibility to hate evil. But when we just go on some vendetta against government, we're wrong. Biblically speaking. Now the third reason why we should submit to government is because God has a purpose for all government in verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on one who practices evil. Ari Tori said, even bad government is better than no government, because without government, you have total chaos. In fact, I'll tell you a book of the Bible you can read where they had this philosophy of no government, the book of Judges. The book of Judges. Everybody was doing right in their own eyes. They had no government structure. So you've got people just out winging it on their own, coming up with their own rules and codes, and that's the way they were governing themselves. In these verses here, there are two stated God-ordained purposes of government. Government needs to understand this, because if they're not doing this, they're going to be held accountable to God, who gave them the position they have. Number one, they have a God-ordained responsibility to punish those who do evil. That is their responsibility God has given to them. This is true at a local level, it's true at a state level, it's true at a national level. All levels of government have a responsibility to praise those that do good and punish those who do evil. They have a responsibility to make sure that justice is carried out. It is not the responsibility of a Christian to become a vigilante group and go out on a rampage to punish criminals. That becomes the responsibility of government. And when the text says... 
They won't bear the sword for nothing. That word for sword is a destructive weapon that means they have a responsibility at times to issue the death penalty. By the way, the death penalty was instituted by God. You understand that? Go back to Genesis 9. And I like what I think it was, I want to say Warren Wearsby said, the words here in Genesis 9 verses 5 to 6 have never been rescinded in the development of the scriptures. In Genesis 9, 5, surely I require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by the man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So, in other words, capital punishment is established by God. It's never been rescinded. And the government has the responsibility to see to it when you have these evil people that are killing other people that they are given this death penalty. And the word for evil that is used here, but if you do what is evil, the word evil has to do with wicked, evil things that are just, as God would consider, worthless and harmful to other people. Government has a responsibility, a God-ordained responsibility to punish people in society including giving them the death penalty, they don't have a responsibility for psychoanalysis. Their responsibility from the Lord is you punish them. That's your responsibility, government. And I'm telling you right now, there are going to be a lot of government officials get before the Lord. They're going to face a serious, serious judgment because they would not do it. At the beginning of our Constitution, it states that one of the purposes of government is to establish justice. This is not only true in our Constitution, it's true to the Word of God. And God has turned that responsibility over to the government. They are to do what's just in punishing those who do evil. And if they twist that, if they don't do that, if they make decisions based on who knows what, they will answer to Almighty God. So, the first purpose of government is to punish those who do evil, the second purpose of government is to praise those who do good. Do what's good, you'll have praise from the same, for he is a minister of God for you for good. Government has the responsibility to praise those who do good. Now, there's an article, the, before the noun good, which means good stuff that's consistent with the word of God. Government is supposed to praise those people. Praise people that do good. That's their responsibility. Not praise those that do bad. Praise those that do good. Now this probably is going to stretch you a bit. But we live in a time when a leader does something good and people on the other side not only won't praise him, they're going to try to destroy him. And it doesn't matter what the party. The idea of each esteeming others better than self is not seen much in politics. One political leader said that most politicians look in a mirror and they see the next president. But I'll give you a couple of illustrations. When President Obama was president, he wanted to try to come up with a health care system that would help everybody in the United States. That's what he wanted to do. That initially was what he wanted to do, have a health care system that would help everybody in the United States. He didn't have it all figured out. In fact, he said that. He said, look, I'm open to suggestions here. I'm open to working with people so we can get something that will help every American and give them health care. His intentions were good. Boy, the Republicans didn't like that. 
He's out to destroy America. He's out to conquer the world. Instead of them saying, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Let's see if we can work together and come up with a system of health that will help everybody who needs health care in the United States. He was never praised for that. He was demonized. And then you get to President Donald Trump. He wanted to use our own fuel sources so we didn't have to depend on other nations to bring the prices down so our people could have jobs that are in this country. I mean, he wanted to actually use the wonderful resources that the Lord's given to us. I mean, why in the world, if you live on a place that have a lot of trees, would you want to go out and buy wood from somebody else? Well, the Democrats made him out to be some nationalist who's trying to destroy America. It wasn't true. That wasn't the point. Instead of them saying, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Let's see if we can work on that. All it became was political hate and political rhetoric. I mean, these guys were trying to do something good, and they're branded as being no good. Government is supposed to praise those that do good. That is part of their responsibility. But quite honestly, in the days in which we live, that doesn't happen much, not even at the highest levels. But notice what is said in verse 4. He is a minister of God. That's the word from which we get our English word deacon. God views government as being a sacred appointed office. And I'm telling you, if you're in government, you better take it seriously. You better not just take this lightly. This is playtime for me in government because I'm telling you right now, God is going to hold you accountable. And the text says that he is a God who is an avenger. It's brought out there in verse 4. This is a minister. This guy is supposed to be an avenger who brings wrath on one who practices evil. And if God's leaders do not do that, God is going to hold them accountable for what they did not do. Now, what's our role in all of this? We don't hold any high office other than we hold a higher office than they do in a position with Jesus Christ. But what's our role in this? Well, Paul said... Look, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Quite honestly, we who've experienced the grace of God should be the best citizens in the place wherever we live. They're good citizens there. As we'll see next week, they pay their bills, they work, they worship. We should have that kind of reputation. And the fourth reason is because God says it's a necessity to submit to government, verses 5 to 7. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection. God stresses, I don't want my people becoming some political militia. I don't want my people becoming a bunch of political religious zealots. I want them submitting to me 
and to the government that I've established. Now, there are three areas of government that God has established in this grace age. We mentioned them earlier. God has established the church. There's to be a submissive attitude in the church to leaders if it's leading people in the right ways of the Lord. God has established the home. There's to be proper submission in the home. A husband is submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. A wife is submit to the husband. The children are submit to the mother and father. And there is to be submission when it comes to government. Now what Paul does is he lays out some ways that we are to submit and a reason we're to submit. The first one is because of our conscience. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath but also for conscience sake. Paul said, you don't just submit to government because you don't want to make them mad, you don't want to offend them, or you don't want to just face negative judgment from the Lord. Your own conscience demands that. If you don't have a clean conscience, you won't sleep at night. In fact, I am convinced, here's a bottom line of why many people don't sleep at night. They don't have a good conscience. I mean, if you, for example, are a husband and you're not submitting yourself to the Lord, but you're involved in crud, how do you think at night you're going to put your head in your pillow and just get a good night's sleep? That isn't going to happen. What if you're a wife, you won't submit to your husband? You think you're going to put your head in your pillow? And if you're in defiance against the authority of God, that you're going to just go to sleep and get a good night's sleep? No, that won't happen either. And the same is true when it comes to these other areas in the church. You'll churn all night. Now, Paul uses this word conscience some 20 times. And it's a word that refers to that inner part of us that drives our mind. It's kind of that thing that says this is right, this is wrong. A conscience can be weak or strong. A conscience can be clean or dirty. A conscience can be at peace or in turmoil. And in order to have a good conscience before God within ourselves, we need to have a submissive attitude to the leadership in any context we find ourselves in. So Paul's argument here is if you invest your life opposing government and authority, you probably are not going to have a good night's sleep because your conscience won't let you. It'll be hardened. It'll keep you awake at night. And then, as you're rolling through your conscience, I'm going to face the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll be another one to add to it. So Paul said, have a submissive spirit for your conscience sake. Secondly, we need to submit to government with our money. I find this is an interesting text because your property taxes are due this week. (laughs) The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes. Pay taxes. Render to all that is due, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know, someone made an observation about government and said, now here's one area where government, even worthless, bad government, will always fulfill their responsibility, collect taxes. They may not fulfill their responsibility in any other way, shape, or form, but they will fill their responsibility to collect taxes. And Paul says, here's the way that you, as a grace age believer, need to function in a couple of money areas. Pay your taxes. Jesus taught the same thing. He was uh, questioned, you'll remember, and they pulled out a coin thinking they could trap him. 
And they said to him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or just to God? Because their whole thinking was, we give our money to the Lord. We don't give it to Caesar. And Jesus said, take out a coin. Show me whose picture is on it. Caesar. He said, render to Caesar things that are Caesar's and things that are God's. Render to God. You know, years ago, there were some ministers, this was back in the 80s, that they could opt out of paying their Social Security tax. And I thought, well, that's not right. We're supposed to do that. But a lot of ministers, boy, they got on that. We're opting out of paying our taxes. I'm thinking, that's contrary to the Word of God. Pay your taxes. Secondly, we're to pay custom. Pay our customs. That's what it says. Custom to whom custom. That was like a state income tax covered a lot of other areas. And then the third way that we are to submit to government is by our attitudes. We are to have an attitude of fear and we are to have an attitude of honor. Now you say, oh yeah, but Paul didn't understand what we're in. He's writing this with Nero in charge. You know what Nero was using tax money for? He's using tax money for idolatrous things, emperor worship, immoral behavior. Supported at times even the killing of Christians. That's what he was using money for. Paul said, yeah, but you're a citizen of heaven. You display you are when you pay those taxes. And as far as giving honor to people that wronged him, man, you got that story in Acts 23. Paul is standing before the high priest, and the high priest slaps him in the face. Paul didn't, his eyesight was bad. He couldn't actually see who it was that hit him. And he made a derogatory remark about him. And they said, don't you know you're talking about the high priest? He said, I didn't know that. I'm sorry about that. Because he realized because of the position that he held, he deserved the honor of having that position. Now here's a challenge I'll give you this week. Do with it what you want. It's not easy standing up here week after week handling this stuff, but I am handling this stuff. It's what's here. Don't say one negative word about government next week. Pray for it. Don't watch the goofy news that'll just get into rambling and things that will just, quite frankly, raise your blood pressure. Instead, this next week, you pray for the leaders of our nation. Pray for the leaders of our state. Pray for the leaders of our city. Pray for the leaders of our township. You do that, you'll have a good conscience before God. And you'll have a tremendous and be a tremendous demonstration of his grace. But that all starts by submitting to Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ came here to take our sin on him, take the wrath of God on him. This whole thing starts by submitting to him. And if you've never invited the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you settle that today. And you'll have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, I have no clue how this text is going to affect people. I know what it affects me. I'm grateful that it does. I pray we would walk 
through this world as good, grace-reflecting people that please you. In Jesus' name, amen.